And uh, anyway, Lori is a priest at um, Berkeley Zen Center, where she's lived uh, for over 30 years now. And uh, only recently, after um, seeing her children off to um, college and so forth into adult lives, uh, she uh, ordained as a priest in 2018. And uh, as I understand it, is uh, preparing for Dharma transmission at this time. So, greetings, greetings everyone, everyone. Uh, Bodhisattvas, Dharma brothers and sisters. It's uh, so wonderful to be able to come together around our shared values. What important to us. Uh, Jim reminded me back when we scheduled this that um, this was this is the day that uh, JFK was assassinated and also as we know we're coming up on uh, we might call a complicated and meaningful holiday celebration. Um, and I like it myself when the speaker will kind of locates us themselves or us in space and time. Is my sound okay? Sound okay? Um, uh, but I'm not going to do that. Sorry, I'm, I'm not going to talk about those things because I have something else on my mind that I want to share. <clears throat> so, hope that works out okay. Um, my favorite thing about Buddhist literature is that it's full of metaphors, similes, and parables. Some are long and involved, like the story of the prodigal son that's in the Lotus Sutra. It's a wonderful parable. And some can be just like one word, like mirage. To me, these are the real fingers pointing at the moon. It can be hard for me and I think many of us to understand Buddhist teaching co only cognitively, only logically or systematically. Um, it's hard to understand what he was pointing to. And so the literature has many metaphors for the self, how the self exists, or more accurately, probably how it does not exist. And also all conditioned things, how they exist and how they do not exist. Um, in the early Buddhism, they talked more about, they unpacked the self more typically, and in the Mahayana, they sort of expanded that to include the emptiness of all conditioned things. So like it says in the Diamond Sutra, as a lamp, a cataract, or you could call it a floater, maybe, a star in space, a magical illusion, a dewdrop, a bubble, a dream, a cloud, a flash of lightning, so we should view all conditioned things. And you know, these metaphors from nature are so fantastic because they're still alive for us 2000 years later, we have almost all those things still. And you can actually try them on, you know, in a quiet moment, one by one, you know, what that might mean, what the, he means by that it's like a floater or it's like a flash of lightning. 
And recently I've kind of become a collector and you could say inventor or updater of new Buddhist metaphors. Um, so last year I gave a talk in Berkeley about how race and white supremacy are examples of something that's empty of inherent existence. And I'm not really sure there is a better metaphor for our times. Uh, I quoted this amazing sentence by the scholar and historian Ibram Kendi, who wrote, race is a mirage, but one that humanity has organized itself in important ways. And we could say the same about self. The self is a mirage and one that humanity has organized itself around in very consequential ways. In fact, karma is a word for what we do and what happens when we organize, organize ourselves around the mirage of self. And we can use the way we think and feel about the race construct as a metaphor for how we think and feel about the self and, and vice versa. They can, they can unpack each other. Um, and so, uh, I'm going to bring up another, <laughs> I'm going to move off of that metaphor and bring up a new one. Um, when during COVID, my husband and I did something that we always wanted to do, but never figured out how to take the time to do it, which was we, we read aloud a sutra, the Lankavatara Sutra from beginning to end. It took, took us about a year. And we came across another one of these lists of metaphors, which are fairly not, not uncommon in Buddhism. And in this one, one of them, one of the metaphors was a Gandharvan city. The self or conditioned things are like a Gandharvan city, which, you know, me, meant nothing to me. I didn't understand. Um, and I was curious. And I also, I wanted to be able to receive the wisdom of the metaphor. So I Googled, I Googled it. And it seemed to be something, you know, that everyone knew about and knew was imaginary. And actually, more recently, I, I've thought, oh, it probably is something not like the thing I'm going to give my whole talk about tonight. But rather, I thought, oh, it's like it's like the lost continent of not lost continent of Atlantis. I think the Gundarvan city is sort of like the lost continent of Atlantis. Anyway, I. I wasn't, I hadn't thought of that yet. And I was trying to think, well, what's, com what's comparable in this day and age is something that everybody knows is imaginary um, and everybody's heard of, but knows that it's, it's imaginary. Of course, there's thousands of things, but um, what popped into my mind was Santa Claus. So, and I turned to Alan and I said, oh yeah, you, you can't kill Santa Claus because the sutra was kind of saying something about how we're not trying to get rid of, we're not trying to get rid of anything. We're not trying to get rid of self because it's not there. There's nothing there. We're just trying to see through our illusion of self. Um, so I think that Santa Claus is a wonderful example of, of how this, of something that does and does not exist, which is this, which is this very common phrase, especially in the Lankavatara Sutra. It, it, it doesn't exist, but it doesn't not exist. They repeat that all the time. So, you know, Santa Claus, the one at the North Pole, the one who lives at the North Pole, 
does not appear nor disappear, is not tainted nor pure, does not increase or decrease, because there's no one there. And as long as we fixate and strongly adhere, you know, as long as we're trying to find or depend on a fixed inherent self, or, you know, until we study and see deeply into the emptiness of our self-construct, we're kind of like children who believe in Santa Claus, really. So, um, you know, it doesn't exist, and yet it doesn't not exist. There's no little old man at the North Pole making toys with a group of elves and flying around the world on Christmas Eve in a magic sleigh pulled by flying reindeer, you know. But you can't say he does not exist either because around Christmas time, he's on street corners ringing a bell and he's in department stores. Kids are lining up to sit on his lap and, and ask him for things. So, and you know, no matter how many Santas are on street corners and how many department stores and how many depictions and ads and, you know, pictures of Santa, we're never getting any closer to having a Santa at the North Pole. It's nothing we do, no matter how many depictions of Santa there are, no matter whether we love them or we hate them, it's not affecting anything that's happening at the North Pole. So um, in the same way, our self doesn't exist inherently, and you know, maybe more importantly, it doesn't exist in the way it feels like it does. It seems, it doesn't exist the way it seems to exist. And, you know, I've come to feel that our insights into emptiness, emptiness of self, emptiness of all conditioned things, they're not so much the culmination of our practice. They're, they're kind of the beginning in a way. They're the beginning of something. Our exploration and our understanding of how we actually do exist. First, we have to accept and see that it's not the way we thought it was, you know. As long as we're caught with that, we, our minds don't open to an under, a new understanding of how the self exists. Um, and even, even if we do have some insight into how the self is, is sort of like Santa Claus, that may give us some relief and, and some lightness about our lives, perhaps. You know, we still have to do this hard work of figuring out how to get along with each other. We have to get into the details of how to bring forth an enlightened way of life, dealing with people, dealing interpersonally, dealing with ourselves and others. So, so far so good. And, you know, if I had just stopped there, I think Santa is a pretty good metaphor for something that does not exist and yet does not not exist. But then over the past year, I've, you know, I've, I've been holding this metaphor and, and Things took a strange turn, I would say, <laughs> which is unlike our race constructs. I mean, you there's you could see Santa as something that has a problematic side and a beneficial side. You know, the, the, the symbol of commercialism and consumerism and even patriarchy um, or, you know, organized religion or whatever. 
and the other side is as kind of an archetype archetypal figure of giving so in the same way that santa has these two sides we could say that the self also has a problematic our our belief in self our misunderstanding of self has a kind of problematic side and yet potentially a beneficial side because you know our belief in self is what makes us attack each other and battle with each other but also what allows us to dance and um you know our being caught in self and other is what makes us say terrible things and do terrible things to each other but it also allows us to sing in harmony you know it's related to creativity it's related to love love connects us across our separateness it doesn't permanently obliterate our separateness it, you know it takes two to tango so to speak so and I just I realized that in bringing and raising up Santa in this way I'm probably I could be treading on some touchy territory here and so I am very open to hearing how this lands for people um, and I'm also kind of asking you for just for tonight to try this on you know if if you can open your mind a little and let me delve a little deeper into the metaphor of Santa Claus and that will enable us maybe to delve a little deeper into into the self. So um, I was I kind of took a dive into the origins of Santa Claus, you know, and it started with Saint Nicholas, who was actually way earlier than I realized he was a very early Christian um, kind of a desert father he was um, lived around 300 in the common era and he was Greek he lived in what is now Turkey and um, at one point he was persecuted for being a Christian and he spent time in prison he was renowned for his generosity and in particular his, he had a practice of secret giving, giving where the people who you're giving to don't know who gave them the gift. Um, and, uh, you know, my son Alex just spent 18 months in, his, in a monastery, a Zen monastery in Japan. He got back a couple months ago. And when I mentioned this to him about the secret giving, he was like, oh, the monks in Japan have that. And he showed me this picture from this book, Unsui. I don't know if, how many people have seen this book, Unsui, but um, I'm, I have a little show and tell for later um, uh, where the monks are like help secretly fixing sandals and doing someone's laundry and such. It's very sweet. Um, a couple more specific things St. Nicholas was famous for. He, he secretly left a bag of gold coins for a farmer whose daughters were it, it seemed i mean and these stories are very apocryphal because it's so long ago that there's not much history but anyway this story has a couple stories have carried down through the centuries um so he these 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 daughters of the farmer were going to be forced into prostitution and so he he left this money so they would have dowries so they could marry um he was born into a very wealthy family um, and his parents, he was orphaned at a young age. His parents died when he was young. And um, he, he, he 
gave away so so when he became old enough he he decided to enter the spiritual life and he gave away all his family's wealth um another story about him was that when he was traveling on a boat once uh on a sea travel he um there a storm came up and the the other sailors on the boat were sure that everybody was going to die they were convinced they were going to die in this big storm and he was able to he performed the miracle of calming the waters and that's kind of how he was did his you know saints have to have performed miracles so this is the miracle that he's famous for and he's considered the patron saint of sailors merchants archers repentant thieves prostitutes children brewers pawnbrokers unmarried people and students it's a pretty big group so then as the story of St. Nicholas moved north and west through Europe, it kind of kept being mixed and revised and adapted and grown with various fables and folktales that were already um, told by people. And it gradually developed into what we have today. Um, in one of the, it's one of its pre-Christian roots is it's mixed with this story of, um, Frau Holda, who was like a kind of mother goddess figure in Northern Europe. Um, she, um, it's said that when it snows, it's, it's mother Holda shaking out her feather bed or her pillows. Um, and she also was, was someone that children asked you, children asked her for presents, for gifts. So that's how she got kind of mapped onto. And she, and you ask for your heart's desire. So she was, sort of um the person that you ask for your heart's desire um children asked her for what they really wanted you know their heart's desire and there's a wonderful jataka tale about getting our heart's desire um it's quite sexist actually so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna tell it as it originally was but i'm gonna i'm gonna read you my version because i'm afraid i will mess up my pronouns if i don't read it to you so here goes it centers around a being, a royal being, who basically asks for the Buddha's heart on a platter, so to speak. They want to eat the Buddha's heart. And so their lover, who is committed to filling the heart's desire, somewhat regretfully travels, flies around the world and comes to where the Buddha is. And he says, you know, I'm really sorry, but I have to kill you so I can bring your heart to my beloved to eat. And so when the Buddha hears the full story, he says, okay, bring me to them, bring me to them, and I'll let you take my heart. So they fly back to this royal being, and then, and then the Buddha starts to preach the Dharma, and the royal being wakes up and realizes that the heart they really longed for was the heart of the Dharma. Um, so, you know, I've been thinking we don't really have I'm not sure. I don't think we have a bodhisattva of giving, actually, even though generosity is a really important and key practice for us. It's the first of the six perfections. And giving is really love in action, or it's one way, one very good way to express love in action. So maybe we have room for a bodhisattva of giving then. Um, and I think the Bodhisattva of giving could include this idea of the power of secret giving, because it's kind of, you know, no gaining idea in a way. 
secret giving. And also this thing about the heart's desire, asking for and receiving our heart's desire, you know, which Suzuki Roshi called our, our inmost request. And it might not be what we think it is. So even though there's no Santa Claus, many children get presents on Christmas morning and part of their excitement and joy is related to the story of Santa Claus. The story's part of it, you know? It's not your cranky, overworked, underpaid parents who stood in line and drove all over town to get these presents, but like rather they kind of appear magically when you wake up in the morning. It's like, or secretly, you know, they were given secretly. So that's part of what's wonderful about it. If you if you do that, I was trying to remember what we did with with our kids and we did sort of play along. I mean, we acted we enacted the Christmas morning thing. And actually, we still sort of do in very restrained and grown up ways now. And I do I kind of remember being concerned, like, I don't want to lie, like, stop short of lying, maybe a bit of a don't ask, don't tell, you know, type of thing. Um, I don't remember any dramatic unveiling or, you know, anything like that. So anyway, to get back to Santa as a metaphor for self, enlightened moments are those when we realize or remember or accept that there's no little old man living at the North Pole making toys. And we don't need there to be. Even if we want to include Santa, we can still have Santa in our winter, winter celebrations if we want. It's, we're no worse off when he's not there, you know, and there's no inherently existing self as such, and we don't need there to be. All our experience and perceptions of the world are based on cognitive processes than on external events, and that's fine. You know, we still have everything we need to live a meaningful, wholehearted life. And that's a good thing because this story of ourself is written on our neurons, actually. It's very vis visceral. That's where it is. The belief in the the belief that the world we perceive is out there is written on our neurons. You know, for many, many years of practice, I always kind of vaguely had the idea that Buddha was saying that the self is like an overlay somehow. It's like, it's like something added on which we somehow you know maybe could have avoided perhaps with better parenting or something you know um yes it's a mistake and it's a mistake that's written on our neurons beginning with you know that one celled amoeba who could only like move towards food and away from threat that's you know that's in us that's that's the self that you know that wants to survive as an individual you know and it's a metaphor written on the neurons of living beings that's why they call awakening a revolution at the base it's it's something that we have to turn around in a very deep deep way and deep place and until we do that we we are like children who believe in santa claus basically um I should say metaphors of the self because the self actually means many different and contradictory things at different times, right? Like sometimes it's the part of us that's indestructible that carries through time, 
from our childhood to our old age and maybe even through future lives or past lives. And other times it's the part that we that's most vulnerable that we have, you know, that we have to protect that can be harmed. Sometimes it's the part that separates us and sometimes it's the part that connects us. Fundamentally, we're wired to believe in Santa Claus and we have to investigate very carefully, very sincerely, very open-heartedly what is actually going on moment to moment. And this is a really important part of our practice. And the more we do see through this mirage, basically the magical illusion, the greater our opportunity to live fully and wholeheartedly together in this present moment. So, um, let's see, it's 8.20, so I'm in good shape. So I have another story, which may be throwing too much at you, we'll see. (laughs) This is about, so, uh, because I've been saying a lot, I talked about the good things about Santa and the bad things about the self. So now I want to talk something about the good things about the self. Um, There's this koan in the Hidden Lamp Collection. If you don't know about the Hidden Lamp Collection, check it out. It's this amazing book with these hundred koans all about women, stories about women. And this one is about a student of Hakuin Zenji's, uh, an enlightened laywoman named Asan. And I always think, you had me at enlightened laywoman. <laughs> um, anyway, so Asan, and as you probably remember, there's three stories about Asan in the hidden lamp. And Hakuin, you probably remember, is the one who brought up the sound of one hand clapping. So in this story, Asan comes to her teacher, Hakuin, and he immediately raises his hand. And she says, even better than the sound of one hand, let's clap, let's clap both hands and do some real business. And he says something like, if you can really clap both hands, you don't need the sound of one hand. So where I go with this is, it's only as separate that we can meet each other. It's not as one, but it's as two that we connect with each other. It's in our meeting that our differences, ourselves can come alive and can be shaped and make sense. We can see the shape. Um, The poet Audre Lorde said, it's not our differences that divide us. It's our inability to recognize, accept and celebrate those differences. So I always think about the process we call checking in I'm in several groups where we, where the first part of the meeting is checking in, you know, going around and each person talks about how they're doing and what their edges may be or what's going on in their lives. And we need to do that because we don't know until we tell each other. We don't know what's going on until we tell each other. If there were an inherent self, you could tell me once and I would know and you would never have to tell me again. But because there isn't, I don't know how you are until you tell me. So we always need to find out, you know, how we are right now. And mostly what you say is is often not what I expected you to say. 
You know, you can have a good friend. Have you had this experience where you have a close friend you know really well and you see some kind of look pass across their face and you have an idea of what it means and then it turns out it's something completely different? Have you had that experience? I mean, sometimes we do also understand what each other is doing without being told, but we we need to what's happening is always what's happening right now so you know and even even inside of ourselves we can benefit from two we can benefit from having you know big mind and small mind together we can we have we have um sometimes we have a true self or an authentic self kind of feeling, you know, which is not the same as an inherent self. We can have two different parts that are kind of in tension with each other, but need to sort of hear each other and work something out. Um, you know, we often, many of us have a kind of critical voice and the voice almost seems like it's outside and then we're responding emotionally to this critical voice, right? You, you have this voice that criticizes you and then you feel bad you know so there's two things going on there there's something and it even though it seems to be outside we all know that it's a voice in our head so so even inside of us there can be two things you know we can we and and that can be about meeting each other and getting to know each other the parts of ourselves can get to know each other and fundamentally, you know, have a bigger, a closer relationship with big mind, which is something that is kind of both inside and outside in a, in a way. Um, so that's, that's what I thought of to talk to you about. Um, and I am looking forward to having some discussion. And I just wanted to say, finally, and maybe this is somewhat about this time of year, but really it's all year to um, just encourage us all to think about the un our unhoused neighbors during this time. And practice some, I encourage you to practice some secret giving, see what it feels like. So um, that's it. I assume there's someone who moderates or do I, I, I do the questions or? Someone will explain it, I assume. Okay, so can you hear me, Lori? Yeah. Yeah, it's Jim. Um, and we'll, we have a microphone in here and we can pass it around. And then the people in Zoom can also raise their hands and uh, Anthony, I guess, can call on them or we can see their hands going up. Um, well, yeah, thank you for your talk and, and your, um, your, uh, you know, I, I thought uh, that you, you, there was this uh, rehabilitation of the self, you know, <laughs> you, you, this, this, the self, um, you know, got a second chance. Oh, good. And, oh, good. and, uh, and uh, I appreciated that. And, you know the pro. I think the, the pro, like I think what you're saying is is the problem. This problem isn't the self. It's um, 
it's 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 that we believe too much in it, or we or we we actually attribute too much fixes. You know, it's always going to be Santa Claus. You know, it's this self is always going to be this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always going to be this way, and and uh, and the, you know the benefit of practice is that um, uh, we have some insights that uh, actually uh, this self can appear a different way and i never i never imagined that the self could appear this other way as a different you know kind of in a different mood and a different orientation towards others and all of a sudden i see yes that's possible i don't it's not a fixed thing and uh that's i think the you know the great benefit that we we derive from our practice Sometimes just the pause, you know, just having introducing a little bit of space, a little pause, take a few breaths, and it's it becomes apparent, you know, like like you don't even know how you feel until you sit down and pay attention. I had what popped into my mind when you said rehabilitation is like, oh yeah, maybe sometimes maybe we have to hit bottom, <laughs> and maybe hitting bottom is is seeing through, you know, seeing through the self. We have to do that and then we turn around and we can okay so how does this the actual self i have how does this thing work you know yeah well i think we see plenty of examples of uh people turning towards practice uh, as a result of hitting bottom (laughs) you know we see plenty of examples of that and i think that's probably true um other people here in the zendo or Hi, um, I remember like this ten ox herding pictures. There's one of a person going back to the market, and yes. maybe it's yeah. po tie. I remember the, and he's it's got a big one. bag mm-hmm. on his shoulder, and I always thought, oh, he, is he like a Santa Claus in the mm-hmm. Zen tradition? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't give out what's in his bag, but he does gift bestowing hands. I think. I mean, he said that go back to the marketplace with gift bestowing hands. Yeah, that's the phrase we use sometimes. Yeah, right. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> yeah, and then when you said uh, um, we don't have a, a bodhisattva of giving. But I did think that, um, uh, you know, Buddha had many lives before Shakyamuni. And in those lives, he, he, he practiced the perfections. And, and, and as, many, as you pointed out, there's many stories of him giving, mm-hmm. you know, giving his yeah. life, giving yeah. his, giving his mm-hmm. heart. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think the Buddhist, you know, Buddha, when he, uh, he, she, them, was a bodhisattva, uh, is our is our uh, probably uh, our our good example of the bodhisattva mm-hmm. of uh, generosity. Yeah, I see Jody's hand up over. Maybe I can call on the people on the Zoom screen as easily as you. Go ahead, Jody. Unmute and talk to us. There you go. Um. Two things. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Oh, good. So, um, 
I I really really like that story about Santa Claus. Um, that was like one of the most concrete uh, explanations I've heard about you know the self not self stuff, and I I just it was really easy to to grasp it that way. It was very nice. And I, I particularly like it because I'm very attached to Santa Claus. Oh, oh good. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I wasn't raised with that tradition, but as soon as I was old enough, I, better, yeah. I, I got Santa Claus into my house. So I just really enjoyed that. And, and even um, by accident, actually uh, visited the church in Bari where his remains are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people of Bari in Italy are, very very proud of, mm. of that, and, mm. and it's, it's a really interesting kind of phenomena. Um, and I also really really like that story about the Buddha and giving his heart and the heart of Dharma. And I was recently started watching a video of um, the Reverend Desmond Tutu and mm-hmm. uh, the Dalai Lama um, when they met in I don't remember it was like in the mid late 90s because the struggle against apartheid was still going on and um you know the joy of these two men meeting each other is just astounding mm-hmm. and the joy of that story about the heart of the dharma is yeah. it's just the yeah. same and so thank you very much for mm-hmm. that thank you mm-hmm. i can hardly wait i keep thinking someone should make an animated movie of that story you know like somehow i see them flying through the air you know be so cool. Yeah. That reminds me that I forgot to do my show and tell. So I'm going to, can, am I, can you make me a co-host so I can share my screen maybe? Oh, I already can. Okay. First I'm going to, I'm actually going to wait and put it on top here and then I'm going to share it. Where is it? There we go. There's just a, I just have a couple things. So here's St. Nicholas here, and this is Frau Holda. Little statue of Frau Holda. There's so many different ways she looks. She's, she's, this is not your typical, she's more of an older lady in most of the depictions, but I really like this for some reason. Um, and then I've got some diverse Santas just to remind us that and and what I read somewhere that all over the world he can be anything. It just it's here that he's become so, and also that our the whole thing about the red suit. A lot of what we understand about Santa is just from a Coca Cola ad in the 1930s. <laughs> but then someone also told me that a a big uh, moment when when our story of Santa unfolded was with the story the Christmas Carol that be that before this Dickens story they it hadn't solidified. Um, as much the way we do Christmas. So there's a lot of evolution in history to how we do Christmas. So here's the diverse Santas. And this one even says, where to find a black Santa in Indy? So, um, and then here's the one from about the monks, which I hope you can see. So this guy here, it's called secret good deeds or secret giving. He's, he's mending these sandals here, this guy. And then, and then this guy over here is taking in someone else's laundry, one of the other monks' laundry. Anyway, little nice to have a few visual aids sometimes. 
other questions or thoughts, impressions, suggestions even? I see a hand in the room. Hi, Lori. Hi. Uh, I'm Oscar. Um, Hi, Oscar. So I'm, I'm trying to mess with this, uh, this uh, notion of Santa Claus as a metaphor for the self. Um, by the way, that's uh, great. Let me just say, if anybody is really thrown by this or hates it or anything, you're, then you're also free to say that. We, we don't have to all feel the same way about this. So please, yeah, go ahead. I don't hate it. Good. I mean, that's fine, too. Either way. Not so far, anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, a child has one idea of Santa Claus, and a parent might have a different idea about Santa Claus. They both uh, be believe in their ways in Santa Claus. Um, so in the same way, uh, and I'm just, just trying to, you know, to suss out this mm -hmm, metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, so most of us, you know, uh, we start out believing that the self is just what we think it is. <laughs> this, you know, this identity with a social security card and address and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're happy later, to have, yeah, we're happy to have con contradictory versions that exist side by side that we never question, you know, we, we can have more than one version, yeah. We never okay. question. And then at some point we might start to observe question and observe and um and maybe develop it's not that the self goes away but we but we don't believe in it in the same way mm. it's still there there's still a santa claus we don't say oh santa claus is doesn't exist these pictures these depictions don't actually exist um it's the 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 coca-cola ad is still there um, the jolly old elf, or the mean old um, gnome, whatever it is. Um, but we relate to it in a different way, and I'm trying to I'm trying to um, trying to put that together with your uh, with your statements about this is how we come together. This is the, the self can be, can lead to conflicts because we are protecting, everyone is protecting their own. Um, but you also said that the plus side is that it's what allows us to come together. And I'm wondering how is it when people who, uh, when adults who don't believe in the North Pole version of Santa Claus, a literal Santa Claus, how is it when they come together do they need um, do they need that version of Santa Claus? Do they need the adult version of Santa Claus, or can they just say, um, "How does that work in your mind?" I'm not sure. I can quite line up line it up. I'm not sure I'm lining it up quite the way you are, but I think the way the way I would put it is that I. 
as a parent, as an adult, I don't need to believe in Santa Claus in order to make a nice Christmas for my children. And that's how we will be when we really understand the self. We, we don't need, you know, like if you want, you know, like the way we want fame or status or gain, we think it's going to establish something. We think it's not just random. It's like, this will make me feel solid inside. I don't feel so good. I, everybody else looks so solid, but inside, I don't feel so good. I need to make myself more solid. I need to establish something. If I'm famous, it really looks like Britney Spears has a self and I want to get that because then I will feel stable inside. And at some point, that's, you know, then at some point when we realize not so much, you know, that, that we can never feel stable inside and that we don't need to feel stable inside. We're fine without that. I don't need there to be a little old man at the North Pole. That's, that doesn't pose any problem for me at all as a parent, you know, on Christmas morning. And not having a self doesn't pose any problem for us at all. Because it's, 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 we've never had one. No one's ever had one. It's never been. There's never been a guy there. It didn't start and then it, then it you know, became a ghost town or something. No, there never was. And that's how our self is. There's never been one. At least in the way that we, we seem to think. So, so now it's like, okay, fine. So now what is there? You know, that's what I'm talking about. And, you know, I don't think it, we don't completely line up the two stories. That's how metaphors work. They kind of, you know, at some point they break down. But um, the, I think the important thing, the thing I like about it is that it's complicated and interesting and also that you know it's it's just it's not a problem that there's no there's no santa at the north pole there's not a problem that there's no such thing as a flying sleigh or reindeer that fly you know what i mean mean, none of that's a problem and that's how we the idea to me is that that's how we'll feel about ourselves. yes i can't establish anything and i feel uneasy inside and that's not a problem that's just how it is I can still, we can still have this conversation and you think what you think and I think what I think and we're communicating with each other and, and neither of us has a self and it's, it's, it's not a problem. So not having that self, the Santa Claus self, and not having a problem with that, what, um, what is the experience of self? Yeah, right, exactly. That's the question. What is it? And so it's, that's the koan. That's the koan. And it's not, you know, it's honestly, it's, I don't think it's any one thing. <laughs> it's what is it right now? You know, we're never going to come together like this group of people. This is never going to happen again. The people in the Zendo may come back together. You may be on the, you know, like this exact thing is just a once in a lifetime thing. And that's pretty amazing, really. It's part of why it's it's fun, you know. Each moment unique. Yeah. yeah. In all of history. Right, right. And we're lucky that we have a very nice way to be, you know, a, a beneficial way to be together. It's a very lucky moment in time when you have a beneficial way to be with each other. 
a lot of people around the world don't have that opportunity right now. So we should appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Tell Richard, and it look like maybe someone in the room also. Yeah, hi. Uh, it just seems to me that we all have a lot of Santa Clauses. Um, who I am for my kids is different than who I am for my mom. Right on. Who I am for my teachers and my Dharma siblings here, who I am at work. You know, if I toss all these different Santa Clauses out, it's just me sitting on the cushion at home, staring at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that you have all of those, right? It's not a problem. It's, in fact, it's a great thing. Because it, the way you're bringing up has a lot, you know, like I couldn't even hardly bring up. It's about the relationship, right? What do your kids bring out in you? Who are you? What self do you have when you're with your kids as opposed to what self do you have when you're at work? Because it's about the relationship. It's what your kids bring out in you. And maybe one kid brings out something different than the other, or one work partner brings out something different than the other. And, and we can roll with that, right? I mean, that's part of the trick is learning how to roll with that. Learning how to roll is really good. No strongly okay. adhering. Avoid the strongly okay. adhering to anything. Next. Dale has their hand raised. I thought that was Dell that I was talking to. No, hi Dell. Hi. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say how much I appreciated the metaphor of Santa Claus. I just, I thought that was so incredible, Santa Claus as the self. And also, I really thank like. You. I really thank you. I really like the. Um, I guess it's a quilt or fabric behind you. Oh yeah, that's my analog. Uh, Back, what do you call it? What's what is it called in Zoom when you have the digital background? It's it's my analog background. It's oh, it's little, wonderful. Little yeah, yeah. Because my uh, I'm in my office and it's incredibly messy behind me. So, <laughs> so that's perfect. I love the birds too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I got something in the chat about how about the Bodhisattva Santa. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying, but I'm a I don't want to be the one to put that forward. I, I think, you know, maybe it'll be over a hundred years, like the, all the other stories with the Santa, you know, incorporating Frau Holda and everything. Maybe there's a way that it'll gradually incorporate in some way. Maybe we can lose the, the red suit at some point. We'll see. None of us will be in charge of anything. So we'll see what happens. So hello there. Uh, this is Larry in the Hi. in the Zendo, and um, well, first of all, I, I really appreciated your talk. And um, you know, sometimes this this is not non-substantive comment, uh, it, but uh, that's good. Sometimes it, you know, in our study group, uh, and I imagine in other study groups as well, they they say something like. Uh, Oh yeah, this teacher is—he's so accessible. We can we can really understand as 
you know, like uh, as the counterpoint to Dogen, which is, you know, hardly accessible. Right, right. So, so when we give out the Dharma Talk Awards at the end of the year, though, I mean, I think yours has to be uh, win the award for uh, most accessible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Dharma so much. Talk by, by bringing up uh, Santa Claus today. Uh, and uh, the other thing is the, the, the substance of what you're talking about reminds me of one of Dogen's fascicles that, I, I listened to a teacher talk about recently, which is a dream dream expressed within a dream. Mm, I don't and, know that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, but one of the points that, that Dogen makes about it is it's it's all empty. It's all a dream. None of it's a real real. But let's celebrate, you know, every moment of it anyway. And I think you were saying something about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't he? He says somewhere else, I think the painted rice cake is the only rice cake. There's only the painted rice cake. You know, there's yeah. no real rice cake. But I will say that I, Dogen goes from being incredible to me, he goes from being incredibly accessible to incredibly inaccessible. I mean, he does the full range. I mean, to study the Buddha way is to study the self, to study the self is to forget itself. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I don't think. And it's very accessible. But yeah, then you know, there's these other things like, oh, no, put the book down. I can't deal with this, you know, so yeah. But I'll Thank check you, out everybody. the one about the dream. That sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. You might be approaching the time that you usually often end even. Perhaps. I, th I think that John Wark's little background, I think, which I think is a digital background, is really beautiful. So I just want to say that. There's a lot of cool backgrounds, but that is really nice. Looks like embroidery or something. Well, Laura, you said you, you weren't going to locate us in time and space, but you have. You located us, you know, at the North Pole, and uh, also, uh, you know, two days or something or three days before Thanksgiving, and yeah, you know, yeah. the, the Santa Clauses are popping up. That's true. Everywhere yeah, around now. Yeah. So I think you did locate us in okay. time and space. <laughs> well, maybe better than doing it in June, anyway. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of summer well who knows we could who knows i after it later i thought also oh james bond i mean i since i since i had this i've had many other ideas but none have been as good because there's very few that have such a fantasy behind it and such a range of expression between good and bad you know beneficial and problematic expression so i think it's it's quite good actually Quite a good metaphor. Thank you all so much. Do we have a closing?